All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Navani, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. We continue our 2019 NFL season preview series today by discussing the AFC North and NFC North divisions. Are the Browns really the favorites over the Ravens and the Steelers? Can the Bears fend off all their division rivals for the second straight season? We answer those questions and more in the second of our four-part series. But before we preview the two North divisions, we talk about Antonio Brown's bizarre start to the preseason. Finally, we'll wrap up today's show by counting down the best backup quarterbacks of all time in today's top five. Let's get started with the second part to our NFL series uh, preseason special. We talked AFC East and NFC last week. If you didn't listen to that one yet, go back, find out what we have to say about the Patriots and their top challengers, as well as the quarterback situation amongst the Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, and Redskins. Today, we're going to talk AFC North and NFC North, uh, talk about the Browns and their exciting offseason, as well as talk about the Bears as they look to repeat as NFC North champions after a surprising 2018 performance. But before we get into that, let's talk about a player who, dare I say, thankfully is no longer a member of the AFC North, and that is Antonio Brown, wide receiver for the Oakland Raiders, and his crazy start to training camp. He froze his feet in a cryogenic therapy accident gone wrong, went radio silent on the Raiders, and then threatened to retire because they wouldn't let him wear his old helmet. And, you know, every time a story comes up about Antonio Brown, it just seems like it has a, a real bad connotation. And you... Is this anything the Raiders should really be worried about? Or is he being a clown in August not going to be a factor the rest of the season? I think that's what we're about to find out as he finally shows up and starts to play in the preseason. My question for you guys is, are you watching Hard Knocks? I am not. I have not, I have not but I've heard I've some seen audio highlights and stuff. Well, I'm, not. I'm starting to think, again... I've only seen the first episode, so there's plenty more that we'll see from Hard Knocks. But I'm starting to believe that all these Antonio Brown antics that we're hearing about through the sports news is actually just like promoting the show. Like Antonio, he's doing this because he's got cameras at minicamp and they're like, ooh, ooh, Antonio over here. What are you going to do next? Is that a hot air balloon, Antonio? Tell us more about what you don't like about the helmet, Antonio. Like it, the show itself is cool. I like it. I'm not trying to ha- knock hard knocks, but it's very clearly scripted in some ways. And I think that Antonio Brown might be playing to that. Okay, so I, that's literally what I was just about to ask. If you thought Antonio Brown doing all of this, even freezing his feet, is part of maybe not that playing part, that's up because it, it looks bad. It looks bad. But yeah, I think a lot of his antics are are hyped up because he's the most important wide receiver in the league right now, and he wants to play that up. 
It's also the fact that he doesn't really take the preseason very seriously, like a lot of other players, but once the regular season starts, he's definitely going to be more focused and not freezing his feet. <laughs> the, the hot air balloon isn't like necessarily a new thing for him. Uh, he certainly had his, his big entrances in the training camp while he was in Pittsburgh. He, but, I mean, the, the, the foot thing, that seems like a legitimate, you know, he just wore the wrong footwear and seriously risked his feet and his ability to play football it sounds like he'll be okay for that but you I, it seems like you're thinking that the helmet thing is totally staged and that he's not someone who's just devoted to his helmet to the point where he's uh doing whatever it takes to be able to play with it or willing to give up his career t- if he has to play without it like I, that, I, that was such a um hollow threat from antonio brown can you imagine the ballad of antonio brown coming to a uh, an end the first time he has a chance to prove that it was him not the steelers making him a legend because he doesn't get to wear his favorite helmet come on that's ne- that was never going to happen it was him trying to call the league's bluff but they didn't budge because one of the things i I hope one of the reasons they're doing this is for the player's safety because they can't have a helmet that's over 10 years old. But that for me was such a hollow threat. And of course he's, he's still going to play. Uh, I never, I never believed that he would have gone through everything he did in the off season, get paid all the money that he was demanding and just walk away from it over a helmet. But that doesn't necessarily make me think that he didn't have some kind of a, legitimate gripe about that and that he would go through all the stops like filing a grievance with the NFL and it wasn't just to get some uh, more views on hard knocks per se my first thought was okay okay Antonio Brown is definitely a a bozo for thinking that uh, he's gonna get away with this helmet thing but my my other thought was does it really really matter like what helmet he's wearing I mean if, if if he's comfortable with the better view I mean why is the NFL like so harsh with with his with his actions well and that is what the deal is right it's because he can't see as well apparently with the new helmets uh is causing him to rebel against it like he can't see as well with the newer helmet than his previous helmet that's what i've heard yeah he which is interesting because a lot of other players around the league are saying that they can see better with it but for antonio brown that i guess is the opposite You've got me, man. But no, but, well, at the same time, Tom Brady has also like had to change his helmet, and he said he's not happy about it. But you know, it's the rules, and he's going to follow them. Jason Witten was another one who played with the same helmet for years, retired, and then came back, and all of a sudden you know, he had to get a new helmet that he wasn't used to, and uh, the same kind of sentiment. Honestly, I feel like Jason Witten was probably taking some snaps without his helmet on, based on the way he commentated. <laughs> I mean, he did have that famous catch where his helmet came off and he kept running. So, But so I guess in terms of a, a Steelers fan's ultimate perspective on the Antonio Brown thing, him coming back to training camp, him reporting to the Raiders, him not going through with his threats, I think is a, a good thing. Because Antonio Brown playing on the Raiders is much less threatening than Antonio Brown forcing his way out of Oakland and onto a team that the Steelers should, who should like be a legitimate threat to them this season. Long-term, maybe there's hope when they go to Vegas, but the older Antonio Brown gets, in theory, the less 
you know, prominent, uh, as skillful he will be. So I think him going through these things, having just the, the attention on him kind of makes the Steelers look a little better for the way that they handle things and say, hey, this isn't just our problem. Like This guy is actually uh, a locker room you know, drama-filled uh, distraction. But having him still do, be on do the you field. believe that as do you believe that as well, or do you wish that he was still in Pittsburgh? I wish it's probably gonna it's it's yeah. gonna hurt probably it probably hurt Juju the most now that he's gone because all the focus is gonna be on going towards Juju now that Antonio Brown is gone. He's the only real threat in their receiving core. Well, that's something that we 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 can get into, and obviously you would rather have one of the better wide receivers in the NFL over not having him, but. When things like this constantly are happening for him in his short period in Oakland, you start to realize that there is a actual problem. And I think teams can maybe be better off without the whole you know, diva superstar Dealing wide with receiver. all the antics yeah, from right? the diva receiver. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. It's very likely that him and Gruden are going to have some fights like on the sidelines by probably week one or two. Am I the only one who's surprised that NFL players wear the same helmet for years? I thought they would ju- like just get new ones all the time. Like, don't those helmets get like busted up? And isn't the fact that Antonio Brown's on a completely different team now make it kind of hard to wear his Steelers helmet? I heard that he didn't he spray paint his his helmet his old helmet to white and black, or instead of black and yellow, or gray. I'm not I'm not sure, but I'm, I I heard that story or a rumor that he spray painted his helmet. Did he actually do that? I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I just thought that was like a joke. <laughs> hey, watch me put my feet in this ice while I spray paint my helmet. <laughs> Great idea. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Um, okay. So yeah, we'll we'll probably be catching up on Antonio Brown, but for now, let's let's move on and talk about our AFC North divisional preview. So. In 2016, the Cleveland Browns went 1-15. In 2017, they went 0-16. But then after that, they hired John Dorsey as their general manager, made some smart moves in the offseason, eventually fired head coach Hugh Jackson after a 2-5-1 start to 2018, and they wound up finishing a respectable 5-3 the rest of the way. And then in the offseason, they were busy in free agency. They went out and they signed Kareem Hunt. They traded for Olivier Vernon to shore up their pass rushing, along with signing Sheldon Richardson. And of course, the biggest move, the move that a lot of people think is the the biggest move, not just by the Browns, but by any team in the league this offseason, was trading for wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. of the New York Giants. The Browns grabbed headlines and... Because of all the talent that they added to their team, are now the favorites to win the AFC North, according to almost all Vegas sports books. At the same time, they play in a division with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens, two teams who year after year have been competitive, have won Super Bowls in the time that the Cleveland Browns have failed to even make the playoffs. So, does the Browns' busy offseason, without even seeing everything come together on the field, make them deserving of being considered the favorites to win this division. I don't think it's crazy that they're the favorites to the win the division, even though they haven't made the playoffs in forever. I mean, you already mentioned the players, Corey. They up- upgraded 
uh, their roster everywhere. I mean, it's not just the Odell and Kareem Hunt moves, the splashy, splashier moves that they've made, but it's also what they've done on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, like you said, Olivier Vernon uh, and Sheldon Richardson are definitely going to help, but also Morgan Burnett as well, who is definitely a serviceable defensive back for the Packers for past seven years or so. And uh, I think Olivier Vernon is a huge move for their team because I think he can play as a perfect complement to Miles Garrett, their first overall pick from a couple years ago. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's that crazy to have them as the favorites either, not just because they've made such amazing moves. I mean, for, on paper, their team got so much better uh, in so many ways, uh, like Brian just said. But the other teams in their division have their own troubles as well. Uh, the Steelers have to figure out how to function without Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown now. Um, no one's saying that's impossible, but it is something that hasn't been done yet by the Steelers, or at least not in a long, long time. So that's something they're going to have to wrestle with. The Ravens may have j- uh, been figured out in the by the Chargers last postseason so is the Lamar Jackson like triple option run first uh with your quarterback game plan still going to work uh I know that I've heard they want to turn him into more of a pocket passer or whatever but they have to solve that uh they became very one-dimensional towards the end of last season and yes they were in the playoffs but will that work again uh so I think it's not just the Browns trending up uh in a in a huge way but also these other competitive teams that we've seen having troubles of their own and that opens the window even wider for these browns the talent is there for the browns on on paper i i do think that they have a serious claim to say that they are the most talented team in this division they are probably the least flawed if you look at the ravens They had a great defense last year. They lost some pieces to it. And like you said, in the playoffs, Lamar Jackson in that offense just was not playing as well as they did. Yeah, then it seems like there is a recipe out there. So there's a question of how he is going to be able to adapt, knowing that uh, teams kind of honed in on what they need to do to stop him. And like you said with the Steelers, they lost Antonio Brown. They lost Le'Veon Bell. Regardless of how the offseason went with Bell sitting out is he going to show up is he not and then of course the Antonio Brown drama with him ultimately being traded they lost two of the most talented players at their respective division or positions and while they have Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner as pro bowlers there's certainly a lot of question marks around them as well as on the defensive side of the ball where they had a, a pretty bad secondary and outside of Joe Hayden there's certainly some question marks in terms of replacing Ryan Shazier, that's yet to be seen how things will turn out based on their offseason moves. So I do think it is a reasonable thing that Vegas would open with the Browns as a favorites. And a lot of it, though, in terms of whether the Browns are actually going to win this division, it's can a first-year head coach deal with all of the, uh, the divas that they brought in, including their young, sensational quarterback, Baker Mayfield? I think so, no matter what you think about each team, I think it's certainly a three-team race, and just might as well just rule out the Bengals. But I mean, the, yeah, like the Browns, they they have all this talent now, but we haven't even seen what they're like all together in regular season games, and we don't. We're, they have a first-year head coach in Freddie Kitchen, Kitchens, Mittens, whatever his name is, and I don't know if how much I can really take him seriously when 
he's going out to the media saying he's going to fire anyone who speaks anonymously to the press and just being that hardo head coach in his first year and just so I don't know how much I believe in their coaching their coaching staff I certainly believe in their talent of course and then for the Ravens like Ben mentioned I mean I, I believe their defense is good I have faith in their coaching John Harbaugh has been a coach for the Ravens for a long time and certainly not afraid to go into Foxborough or other places and try to win some big games but it's really about Lamar Jackson trying to improve as a pocket passer and I don't know how much belief I have in him improving in that especially since the last game we we saw him in was against the Chargers and for three of those four quarters he was abysmal and then for the Steelers I mean yes Le'Veon wasn't there last year so uh, James Conner gets another shot at being the starting running back as a three down back and I don't know how much I love their defense I know I mean Corey you can harp on that more than I could uh but and it's also I don't know how much faith I have in Big Ben uh, staying healthy for 16 games so three teams that can certainly win the division or make the playoffs as a wild card and they all have their strengths and flaws the way I look at all three of these teams is barring any kind of major injury or just a, a total collapse just something doesn't work out they have a reasonable floor of eight lo- eight wins and a reasonable ceiling of 12 wins so from there, it's a matter of how close are they to 10 and 6? Are they all competitive amongst each other? Or is someone going to be able to separate themselves from the pack? And I don't know if I can look at the Cleveland Browns and say that they're going to be a 12-win team this year. I think there's reason to believe that based on the talent, they would be the most likely. But based on historically, John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin, their success, and just a lot of guys who have been around for a while and know what it takes to win in the NFL with the teams they're on, I kind of feel like the Steelers and the Ravens would be the more likely to just maybe surprise in a way, uh, but find themselves above that threshold with Cleveland needing a year or two. You have more confidence in the Steelers and the Ravens based on their history yes. and, and much less confidence, well, not much less confidence, but less confidence because... I mean, we don't even know what they look like uh, as a team, even though they have so much talent, so much more talent than they have in previous years. Yeah, that's the biggest knock against the Browns is we just don't, we don't fully know what to expect. In theory, if you play with them in Madden, you should be able to put together a Super Bowl contending team. But in the real world, we we're yet to be seen how all of these these characters and all these people who haven't played together, a head coach who had eight great games as an offensive coordinator but has no actual NFL head coaching experience, can uh, lead this team. So let's, let's, let's move on and uh, talk about a new addition to the division that we believe will have the biggest impact. So I'm going to lead off here. And initially when I had started thinking about this, I wasn't going to go with a homer pick. But after... The first preseason game and just seeing the way that Devin Bush performed, it's hard for me not to be excited about this guy. The Steelers traded up 10 spots to draft the player who they believe is going to replace Ryan Chazier as a starting middle linebacker, something that they failed to do last offseason and really hurt them. They haven't been the same since his horrible injury in 2017. And if Devin Bush can come out, I, I know it's it's a lot to expect him as a rookie to make a, a 
giant impact, but if they can have someone just to force over the middle, that could be what the defense needs. They led the league in sacks the past two seasons. They've struggled to force turnovers. And if they have a disruptor in the middle who can help in both the run game and in the pass game, uh, just be a young leader on this team, I think that'll be huge for the Steelers, knowing that their offense is probably going to be a little worse without Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. They need the defense to be better. And that, that guy in the middle, Devin Bush, I think is the, the one who has the best chance of uh, making a huge impact for them. So I hate going with the super obvious choice, but the I mean, he's Odell is probably the biggest addition in all football or in, in any division um i i mean adding him in that offense uh for a quarterback that they just drafted last year uh number one overall for baker mayfield uh is is cliche huge impact for their offense it's not no question about it and that gives him and not and not only that but he gets to play with one of his closest friends and and jarvis landry who uh, who, who have certainly known each other for for a very long time and it's it's obvious he changes their offense and he's a playmaker I'm not saying that Odell is going to lead the Browns to a Super Bowl championship but can he certainly win them some games and get them in the playoffs I certainly think so yeah I'm gonna just echo Brian on that one obviously the biggest impact in this division has to be adding Odell Beckham Jr. if he's the Odell Beckham Jr. we know and love He's the best player by far that did it, that joined a new team in this division. I think he makes them a, do- a double-digit win team. I think adding him gives them that potential, uh, especially, like you said, with Jarvis Landry. Both of these guys have had historic beginnings to their career, and they're in their prime right now. You could not ask for a better time to join forces uh, with your former LSU wide receiver friend. And... Here's the thing. You can't double coverage both of them. And Baker Mayfield proved in college that he can get the ball to wide open receivers. So all you have to do is scheme them open and uh, they'll take care of the rest. So I think Odell is easily the biggest impact. I also think that it it actually helps Jarvis Landry, kind of like how maybe a little bit like the Steelers last year with Brown and Juju. And I think Jarvis Landry excels much more in the slot than he does outside. So it could actually even help Jarvis Landry as well. Odell is the obvious pick there. Uh, since you guys both chose the same player, I'll, I'll throw out a third one who I was initially going to go with. If I look at the Baltimore Ravens, their defense lost a few uh, guys who had, were huge contributors to arguably the best in the league last year. Uh, CJ Mosley, Zedaria Smith, Terrell Suggs, and Eric Weddle. They really only made one big addition, but he might be better than all of those guys, and that's safety Earl Thomas. Now, he's had his injury concerns uh, last season, of course, missed most of it. Two years ago, he got injured and had his season cut short as well. But if Earl Thomas can come on the field and he can be healthy, he can be a disruptor. We've seen him be one of the best safeties in the league in his prime, and I think the Ravens are really going to need him to play up to the expectation of what they think they're getting when they sign them to a big contract this offseason. Finally, let's discuss who or what will determine a successful season for each team in this division. Let's start off with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, well, I've, I know I've already talked about it just recently, but it's really just up to Lamar Jackson being 
uh, a better pocket passer and not just scrambling around. And I know I kind of said that opinion last week with Josh Allen, but it's kind of the same thing. It's because I do have faith in their defense, especially with adding Earl Thomas, like you said, and their coaching. But offensively, it comes down to him. I'm going to continue to echo Brian. Uh, honestly, if the Ravens can form an identity on offense that lets uh, Lamar Jackson use his talents without it being easily schemed out, then I think that's a, a successful year for them. Uh, I mean, this might be a little bit of a bold take, but I honestly don't think they can do it. Unless he can become a better pocket passer, I'm afraid they might be stuck with a middle-tier quarterback that they've, you know, started to form the franchise around and this could stunt their uh, growth as a franchise it's really what it comes down to can Lamar Jackson develop as a passer in the NFL we know that he's gonna get his chance to run and try to make plays with his legs but if he can't consistently throw the ball accurately and put his receivers in position to be able to make plays then the Ravens are not gonna be a successful team uh, we saw that the Chargers were able to kind of figure out that Baltimore offense and I'm sure that other teams having a full off season and it won't be as, as difficult for them as when he first joined the starting lineup for that team last November. So now let's move on to the Cincinnati Bengals. A successful season for the Cincinnati Bengals as they get the first pick. Um, a successful season for the Bengals is not hiring Marvin Lewis back. I've told Corey this in the past that if I could have three wishes and and you couldn't wish for more money, I would wish for one of my wishes would be to wish for the job security of Marvin Lewis <laughs> at any job that I have. <laughs> Going 15 to 20 years or whatever it was and not winning a single playoff game and still being the head coach is so ridiculous. So hiring, not hiring Marvin Lewis back and sticking with whoever, I think it's Zach Taylor's his name. Uh, sticking with uh, a different head coach is a successful season in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so, to me, I mean, I think just expanding upon that, Zach Taylor is going to be the big thing that will determine a successful season for the Bengals because we can talk about Marvin Lewis and how bad he was. Well, they got rid of him. And Zach Taylor, is he in, he's in the mold of Sean McVay. Is he going to be in the same category as him? I think it's a little... Uh, over the top to say that the Bengals are guaranteed going to be the one of the worst teams in the league. I know that Andy Dalton is not the greatest quarterback and AJ Green has his injury issues, but Joe Mixon could easily lead the league in rushing. And easily, if, if uh, yes, easily, actually, I mean, easily, but like, I think he will be up there. He could be up there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I he'll absolutely easily. be up there. So I, I think that the, the Bengals still have some hope on the offense. If Zach Taylor can come out and kind of, follow in the suit of Sean McVay. Now, maybe it'll take next year if they decide to replace Andy Dalton. If unless... you want a more serious opinion than what I just came up with, maybe Tyler Boyd uh, s- stepping up and becoming a number one, true number one wideout, since, especially There's, since yeah, AJ Green another... is going to miss probably the first maybe couple games or so. And couple and he's games. another year that's, old. That's there. another he's, guy I think right he's there. 31, 32 now, and he's definitely getting to the back nine of his career. I hope that the Bengals are absolutely terrible, but I don't want to just assume that they're going to be. I'm not saying I'm not assuming I'm saying it would be good for them to be bad uh, because then they can get a better pick and maybe get a quarterback because it's the classic Bengals. They'll do good. You'll be like, wow, this I mean, the Bengals have some talent and then they'll just totally blow it. And then they're a middle middle tier team and they don't make the playoffs. Well, 
they could make the playoffs and then lose. But this year, I don't even see them doing that. I see them being very middle of the road and just wasting another year. So, I mean, I agree with you. If they can get things established with a new coach, that's that's a pretty good year. But get that high draft pick, man. Get this rebuild going. Tank, uh, tank okay. for Tua. No, that's a better way to look right? at it. Yeah, tank for Tua. There's a... <laughs> There's a few quarterbacks they could get if they didn't just end up in the top five. So, all right, next, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I'll go with making the playoffs and living up to all the hype that's surrounding them. Now, if you think they're going to make the Super Bowl, that's probably really difficult to live up to the hype. But if you, if any average fan believes that they can make the playoffs, then that's something that is, I think, doable with their talent. Yeah, I agree. I say make a playoff run, at least win one game so that next year you can be like, all right, let's run it back. Let's keep this thing moving in the right direction. Because again, there is so much hype around this team. They need to deliver. And I think one of the the keys to delivering will be the offensive line. They have all these weapons. They have Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, receiver. They have Nick Chubb, who looked great as a rookie. They signed Kareem Hunt. They added some talent on defense. But if you look at that offensive line, it's middle of the pack at best. And in order to acquire Olivier Vernon, they had to trade Kevin Zietler, who was one of their three best offensive linemen last year on the interior. They have some holes on the outside. Greg Robinson has yet to look anything close to the number two overall pick that he was a few years back. Chris Hubbard, their right tackle, former Steelers backup, he did not do great in a full-time starting role. I think if the offensive line is a little better than serviceable, that'll do them wonders. But if they're struggling to protect Baker, I don't know if it matters how good that their weapons are on offense if the line is just letting the defense get through them and, and forcing errant passes and stopping the run so to me it's the offensive line is is a big thing that will determine the Browns success yeah if their offensive line ends up being a disaster one I would if I'm the GM I'm starting to make calls uh, before the deadline and maybe even call up Joe Thomas and see if he wants to come back into the NFL or not that would be so epic it would be (laughs) finally he's on a team that wins (laughs) all right and then the last team the Pittsburgh Steelers for me, it's prove you're still the Steelers. Um, you've still got Ben Roethlisberger. You've still got Mike Tomlin. You know, there's still plenty there to believe in. Uh, and James Conner is about the best replacement you could have ever asked for uh, for Le'Veon Bell. So there's still plenty to be optimistic about if you're a Steelers fan. So it, it just proves you're still that team. Mine's kind of the same opinion. Just prove that you can still be that same team and prove that you don't need Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell on your team and and try to rebound from last year's mess and and uh, earn a playoff berth. Well, they, they did lose those offensive key pieces, and I think that they still have some very good weapons that they can replace them with. As a Steelers fan, my bigger concern is, and always will be until they get back to where they used to be, the defense. And the defense, they can get to the quarterback. They've led the league in sacks two years in a row but they don't have the turnover numbers to back up that quarterback pressure up front. They need to force turnovers. It's one thing to have Ben Roethlisberger throw three interceptions, but when you don't pick off the opposing quarterback, you're not going to win. So 
to me, if the Steelers can come out and just be at least league average in turnovers. They were the lowest they'd been in interception total since the 1960s. If they can come out and force turnovers, then I think that'll do wonders for their defense, regardless of how good the the talent is. They're not necessarily going to be as good as the the old uh, Steel Curtain Steelers defense, but if they can make up for any mistakes by the offense and force teams into bad throws and actually catch the ball because that's a big big thing with their defense is not being able to catch interceptions when they force big plays i think if they can force turnovers then the steelers there really were certainly games it. last year where the steelers defense definitely cost them some games and especially week two versus mahomes when i think big ben threw like four five touchdowns or whatever but mahomes threw six and 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 they ended up winning the game and the steelers couldn't come back from that 21 nothing deficit i mean so yeah, their defense they, definitely is. They have lost their fair share of shootouts, yeah. yes. So, all right. So let's move on now to the NFC North division. So last season, the Chicago Bears moved on from John Fox as head coach, replaced him with Matt Nagy, who turned out to be a offensive wonder kind. There were certainly a lot of people who were big on the Bears. But they played in division with the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers. The Vikings had just went to the NFC Championship game in 2017. The Packers missed the playoffs for the first time in a few years, but Aaron Rodgers missed most of the season, so there's reason to be optimistic with him returning healthy. Even the Detroit Lions, after being okay, middle of the pack, occasionally made the playoffs under Jim Caldwell, moved on with uh, Bill Belichick disciple Matt Patricia as head coach. All three of those teams disappointed, while the Bears, they looked like the old 1985 Chicago Bears defense at times, the Monsters of the Midway, having arguably the best defense in the entire National Football League. They lost a couple guys, and there's certain reason to believe that the Bears will have a, a bit of a struggle to maintain that top defense. But... If the Bears don't repeat as division champs, can we just simply blame division regression? Or are we going to look to the Vikings' Kirk Cousins living up to the contract that he signed last offseason? Aaron Rodgers just meshing under a new head coach in Matt LaFleur in Green Bay? Or Matt Patricia after a terrible year one showing why the Lions saw him as a head coach? My opinion, I will go with because Aaron Rodgers uh, regresses to the mean and and performs better than he has the past two years. Now, the last two years haven't been all of his fault, but someone like him, or someone as good as he is, should not have just one Super Bowl ring and missed two straight years from the playoffs. And, I mean, when I think having the new coach is certainly going to help. Just having someone else instead of Mike McCarthy is going to help. I mean, when you look at the quarterbacks around the league, Right now, like who's had the best career? It's certainly Tom Brady, but right after that, it's Aaron Rodgers. And then outside of Super Bowl rings, I mean, they're they're pretty close. I mean, I don't know the stats at the top of my head, but I mean, four or five years ago, you can make a case that Aaron Rodgers was at the moment was the better quarterback than Tom Brady and was an MVP at one point. And I think he would have more rings if he had a better coach. And like, let's say he was with the Patriots and he had Belichick as a head coach. He'd probably have maybe two or three or four rings instead. I just think it was time for a new head coach. And I'm not saying Matt LaFleur is Sean McVay, but 
who knows maybe he can't but he's help. not mike mccarthy yeah exactly i think that's a huge yeah. thing to realize is that maybe now aaron Rodgers will i think it was just mike mccarthy's offense. time to go that's all I'm, that's really it in my opinion sure and i i have just as much faith as you do in aaron Rodgers, and i, I think he's definitely the number one reason why the bears might not repeat uh but also like i still am not a mitch trubisky truther yet I still think that he has strides to make. And if that defense does regress and they start leaning a little bit more on that offense, we've seen the Matt Nagy offense, not saying that it's totally predictable, but a lot of times gimmicky things like that don't work long term or at least not as effectively because defenses around the league have a year to study it and slow it down a little bit. And nothing works more consistently and better than good old fashioned pocket passing. And can Mitch Trubisky be that guy week in and week out? We'll see. Um, So I think that the Bears could just become worse, which could lead to them not winning the division but also if the vikings offensive line is better and allows kirk cousins to do his thing then i could see the vikings even knocking them off you know obviously assuming aaron Rodgers gets hurt or something last year i said the vikings were going to win the super bowl i bought way too much into kirk cousins and it wasn't even necessarily that i thought that cousins is a great quarterback. They, I just they were, saw him they were two games a, away from winning it all. They made the NFC Championship game with Case Keenum and Kirk, Kirk Cousins exactly. is and certainly I, I, an upgrade over Case Keenum. So just just adding the two well, that was adding the, the belief, two together, you think they'd make the Super Bowl and maybe even win the Super Bowl? Yes. Just building a team through free agency is a, a tried and true way to be disappointed, and because of that, I, I just I can't go with uh, Kirk Cousins living up to his contract. I think there's reason to believe that maybe he he can do better in, you know, after playing a season in Minnesota, but I'm just I think there's so many holes of the Vikings. Like you said that offensive line, the defense lost a couple key pieces including Sheldon Richardson, and I just think that there's too many holes and they didn't really do a whole lot to address them. So to me, I'm, I'm going to say the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, but I don't even totally believe that because I think that Aaron Rodgers, the fact that he doesn't even talk to his family tells me that it's not necessarily just him and Mike McCarthy don't get along. I think Matt LaFleur can say that their relationship is great, but I could totally see that going sour sooner rather than later. And when you look at the guys that Aaron Rodgers has to throw to, he has Devontae Adams, who one of the best receivers in the league. He's Jimmy Graham, who he's still a really good tight end. He may not be in the the category where he was being compared to Rob Gronkowski a few years ago, but he's still. It's a definitely great a big target. drop off after Devontae Adams, since it's it's just Geronimo yeah, Allison after that, and Valdez Scantling. Marquez, yeah, yeah. it's certainly a drop off. They, you know, Equinamia St. Brown, like I don't know. Unless these guys step up, it's not like Rogers is going out there making them better last year. So. I, I don't know. Was, I don't fully though. believe in them. Those, the, some of those names yeah. might be familiar so, to fantasy football players you're because right. they they picked those guys up because they're like Aaron Rodgers can throw the ball to anyone. If you heard those names, would you think football players? Or would you, would you even think athletes? If you heard the names Valdez Scantling and Aquan yeah, St. Brown, dude, <laughs> like are you kidding me? Are, East West no. Bowl. Yeah. These are these guys were definitely in the East West Bowl. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I know Ha Ha Clinton Dix was. I guarantee it. He was. 
He actually he was, was actually. I can't he was. And Rogers was <laughs> when he said A. A. Ron Rodgers. <laughs> Even he was in the East West Bowl. <laughs> okay. Regardless, though, I I do believe in the Bears again this year. I I think that it's fair to believe that your defense will drop off a little bit, but I don't know. I kind of like that Mitchell Trubisky guy that they have at quarterback, and I think that. If the offense can make a little bit of a leap, then that can make up for the defensive shortcomings in Chicago. So I, if I had to say anyone's going to stop them, it's probably going to be Green Bay. I I don't – you know, Matt Patricia seems like a nice guy, but I, I don't think that Detroit has a whole lot of reason to believe that he is going to be that much better this year and that uh, if things work out for the Lions, it'll be something else. So – I'll, I'll say the Packers, but I still really like the Bears' chances to repeat. I mean, like, for Trubisky, it, I mean, I do have more faith in him than Lamar Jackson as a pocket passer. I mean, he improved from, from year one to year two, he did improve. And if their defense is still, even if it drops off a little bit, they were the best defense last year. So, I mean, if they're top five defense, they're still going to be up there and probably the likeliest team to win the division. As long as Trubisky just improved either improves a little bit or doesn't isn't trash. All right. So, let's uh talk about a new addition that will have the biggest impact in the division. Now, I'll go first on this one, and I'm going to stick with the Vikings here, and I think Garrett Bradbury, the center they drafted in the first round out of NC State, number 18 overall draft pick will help protect Kirk Cousins. And I know there's been a lot of Kirk Cousins Kirk Cousins slander uh, going around the league, talking about how you know he's not good enough to lead the Vikings to anything meaningful. And I totally disagree. He even had a pretty good season last year, despite their 8-7-1 and one record. He had 30 touchdowns and only 10 interceptions with over 4,000 yards. Like, most teams would kill to have a quarterback like that, okay? He's not the problem here. That O-line was atrocious last year uh, and I think that if they can they well they have made moves to improve it and this is I think the most important one to get that uh, centerpiece almost like uh, Travis Frederick down in Dallas a few years ago mid first round center by far the best center in the draft help rebuild that O-line and give Kirk some time to get you more than eight wins come on as a Kirk Cousins supporter I like to give Ben Carlson a small golf clap uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, for my biggest addition for the NC North, I don't. I wouldn't say it's a a huge one, but I I think it's a sneaky one. I think Haha Clinton Dix, being a safety for the Packers for for most of his career, then getting traded last year to the Redskins, and now getting that short term deal for for the Chicago Bears. I'm not saying he's the long term solution for their secondary but i think for this year i think it's gonna help the bears defense even more that's interesting because i think if if i were to take that approach i would go on the flip side and go with adrian amos going from chicago to green bay uh, but i'm actually gonna point to detroit lions defensive end trey flowers so he is coming off the best season of his young four-year career the lions paid him a ton of money they're hoping that bring him in with Matt Patricia, he's going to continue to do that, continue to be a force on that defensive line. They also brought in Mike Daniels. They, they're looking to bolster that defense. And 
when you have a leader who's a great defensive coordinator, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be able to coach up that defense as a head coach in the same way that he would as a coordinator. But they're they're investing money. And then Trey Flowers is a guy who he had seven and a half sacks last season, 57 tackles, nine for a loss, three forced fumbles. Those are some really solid numbers. And if he can improve upon them and play like a, a pro bowler, live up to the contract that he just signed, I think that'll do wonders for the Lions defense. And it'll play a huge part in whether or not Detroit can actually compete with these other teams. Yeah, I w- for the past few years, I've, I've been a huge Trey Flowers fan. I, he was He probably made arguably the the biggest one the uh one of the biggest plays in that Super Bowl uh, 51 versus Atlanta cuz after Matt Ryan completes that pass to Julio uh Trey Flowers gets the sack and then knocks him back 10 15 yards and then they get the penalty and then they have to punt and then the Patriots get the ball back tie the game and then eventually win so and and then he's been a force for a couple of years after that and he was probably their best defensive player for the past few seasons on the Patriots defense. So uh, I'm a fan of that move. But the only reason why I didn't say him was because I just don't have that much faith in the Lions, but he's definitely, he's for sure going to help their defense. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad Matt Patricia is still such a big fan of uh, the Patriots, you know, being a former Patriot himself, uh, just bring in more Patriots. That seems to be uh, working so far. And yeah, if they can bring in Bill Belichick as the head coach, that's going to only help their team even more. <laughs> Matt Patricia signs Bill Belichick to, <laughs> for, at the head coaching position. <laughs> uh. So there's so one more that I want to throw out here, which I didn't go with because it's not an actual player yet. <laughs> but that is whoever's kicking for the Bears. Because last season, their their biggest weakness was Cody Parkey. And it, we saw that ultimately cost them in their playoff loss to the Eagles with that double doink. So right now, it's it's Eddie Panero versus Elliot Fry. So Panero from Florida, Fry Boo, from South Panero. Carolina. Boo. I know who I'm rooting for. Elliot Fry, yes. I would love yes. Elliot Fry. Yeah, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's one of those two or a veteran they bring in, someone who's battling for another uh, team that that's, gets cut. I think just whoever the kicker is, that's going to be a huge impact because they're either going to solve Chicago's problems or they're going to uh, be just as bad, if not worse. And we saw what having a bad kicker meant to the Bears last season. And if they're going to be not just a, a playoff contending team, but a you know beyond that, I think that they're going to need to figure out someone who can put the ball through the goalposts every night. Yeah, listen, I don't I don't always agree. I, I'm addressing the audience here now, that the, our listeners. I don't always agree with Corey, and I don't always agree with Brian, but I get along with everybody. And I say this every morning, every afternoon, every evening, and it's so true. Panero is a mess. Elliot, for, <laughs> Elliot Fry should be kicking <laughs> for the Bears, and it's very obvious. And if they don't, if they don't keep him as their kicker, then I will hold it against them all season long. And inevitably, it'll be their downfall. I can't wait till the Bears fact, make the but, Super Bowl. The, and then that Panero guy uh, just misses the game-winning field goal to lose the Super Bowl. <laughs> P- Panero is a mess, okay? And it's important that they sign Elliot Fry or else why even show up for the season? Because they're already going to blow it from the beginning. All right. Panero is a mess. Yes, he's done it as a very pro That's Elliot right. Fry podcast. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so now finally, before we wrap up our NFC North talk, 
who or what will determine a successful season for each team? We'll start with the defending champions of the division, the Chicago Bears. So one, if their defense stays elite. Uh, two, you actually stole my thunder a little bit with the kicker. I was going to mention uh, <laughs> getting, getting a kicker that can put it through the uprights. Uh, if Mitch Trubisky improves a little bit. But the biggest thing, in my opinion, for the Bears to that determines their success, I think... Allen Robinson, the fact that two years ago in Jacksonville, he tears his ACL first game of the year. And then his first year with Chicago was fine, but not vintage Allen Robinson like he was his first couple years in Jacksonville with Blake Bortles as his quarterback. I mean, man, Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky as Allen Robinson's quarterback, man, I wish if, if he had a real quarterback, oh, man, <laughs> Allen Robinson could probably be a top 10, top five receiver. I don't know, but. I think Allen Robinson being healthy past, you know, two years past from his ACL injury and his first year in Chicago and his second, yeah, being his second year in the new system with the Bears, I think can really help. So I'm going to go with Allen Robinson improving. Yeah, I'm going to go with repeating as division winners and showing that they're here to stay. Um, that they're not just a one-and-done kind of team, that they can compete with these other monsters in the uh, in the North. Well, I'm si- well before, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, Corey, but I mean, I think they're going to be a playoff contender, And but I think the improvement from Allen Robinson could possibly make them Super Bowl contenders. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's too far, but I certainly think they're playoff contenders. I mean, they're absolutely playoff contenders. They went 12-4 and last season and won the division. If they return to that status, then I think that that's good, moderate success to just have continued sustainability. And if they want to take the next steps to not just division, you know, playoff contention status, but ultimate Super Bowl contention status, it's going to come down to Mitchell Trubisky taking that next steps. He was not very good as a rookie. He was much better in year one during Mac Nagy. If he can come out and we can start saying, is Mitchell Trubisky a pro bowler? He doesn't have to be the best in the league, but if he can come out and show why the Bears invested so much in him as a number two overall pick, trading up just one spot and giving up so much to the 49ers for that. If they, if he can come out and play just a little bit better and the more uh, he improves the greater the Bears Super Bowl chances are Uh, to me that's what it's going to come down to it's if Mitchell Trubisky comes out the same way they can maybe still win the division but I don't think that they'll be a legitimate threat because the NFC is going to be pretty tough this year so I I mean Jared Goff in year one was probably the worst quarterback I've ever seen year two he has Sean McVay they're a three seed they lose in the first round but then they make the Super Bowl next year. They don't win the Super Bowl, but they make the Super Bowl. Mitch Trubisky, one of the worst quarterbacks ever in the league his first year. I mean, that's too strong. But second year in the league, he improves. The Bears are a three seed. They lose in the first round. Who knows? Maybe that trend continues. And, that in, and his first year last year was, uh, or was with uh, Matt Nagy as the head coach. So it's kind of a similar trend between the two of them. He is. He's following the same career trajectory. And I do think that if, if Trubisky makes it makes a big enough improvement, the Bears uh, can and will be playing in the Super Bowl. So it's, so it's a done deal then. They're going to follow the exact same trend as the Rams. They're going to lose in the Super Bowl with Panero as their kicker. And then Ben can spend an hour episode after the Super Bowl 
talking about how they should have kept Elliot Fry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. But here's the thing. As much as that will definitely happen if they choose Pinero, it might still happen anyways if they choose Fry because uh, if Trubisky is going to follow Jared Goff's exact career trajectory, he is going to have one of the worst Super Bowl performances ever. Uh, because that was what Jared Goff did. Jared Goff regressed, dude. I'm sorry. He regressed all the way back to season one. Jared Goff, <laughs> when he got to the Super Bowl, and it was it really was vintage Goff in that Super Bowl game. So um, if you want, we'll, we'll just have to if see. If you watch the clip of that Super Bowl where Jared Goff throws the interception to uh, Stephon Gilmore, he comes back to the bench, and then Sean McVay's like, "You're good. You're good. You're good." Like, how can you say that to him? Like, "Oh yeah, you're good. You just got the Super Bowl, dude." <laughs> oh yeah, you're good. No, no worries, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll talk about the Rams later on, but for now, let's talk about the Detroit Lions and their uh, what will determine their success. I think they're going to finish last, but I think uh, an improvement would be Trey Flowers helping their defense more, and maybe even giving Stafford a little bit more help. I mean, I feel like ever since Calvin Johnson retired from the NFL, he's had to carry their team more and more by the year. Um, I think if on Johnson can now step into that role as the starting running back and maybe even a three-down back, that helps Stafford uh, in the passing game maybe even more so as well. So I think just improving that offense a little bit more with uh, carry on Johnson now in a new role. Yeah, for me, it's just, uh, you know, Matt Patricia continue to build what he's trying to build in Detroit. So trade for Bill Belichick if you have to put him in at center or something. First round but, pick, just like <laughs> what they did with the Jets. Yes. But yeah, it's it's uh, start to have his vision um, start to come into to come into focus uh, because I don't I don't really think there's any chance they can really do anything this year uh, super successfully, but um, building for the future, the Matt Patricia era continues. Yeah, you're right. If it's going to be successful, it's going to be Matt Patricia. The Lions weren't bad under Jim Caldwell. They won 11 games this first season, and they won nine his last two, a couple playoff appearances. They were really bad last year with Matt Patricia as head coach. If he can prove that last year was an anomaly and get the Lions uh, looking like a respectable team, then I, I think that can do wonders for them in the long term. All right, next up, the Green Bay Packers. Well, I've already harped on it enough already, but if Rodgers can excel under a new head coach and make the playoffs this time. I think there's three conditions that the Packers could satisfy, and if they could satisfy any of these conditions, then uh, I would call it a successful season. Aaron Rodgers MVP season or win the division or win a playoff game. Okay. And I, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers necessarily needs to be an MVP for those last two to happen, but I think if they're going to be successful, it's going to come down to him just being a team player. You know, last season he did what he could to get Mike McCarthy out of town. He needs to come out and say, all right, we got a fresh start. We have a new head coach. I'm going to make the most of this. And we know that he's a talented quarterback. The Packers did a lot to address their defense. He's going to lead that offense, and he needs them to be coming out and uh, firing on all cylinders week one through week 17, and I think that's that's what will be the key for the Green Bay Packers to challenge the Bears and uh, get back to the playoffs. So lastly, the Minnesota Vikings. I'll say that uh, I think what determines their success in making the playoffs or not is whether or not 
Kirk Cousins can be more aggressive and be better from start to finish because he was certainly he certainly came out on um, on top for the first few games of the year, but then really regressed in the second half of the season. I just I just think he needs to be more aggressive. I mean, part of that is because of like Ben has said that their offensive line was not really that good last year. I mean, Kirk Cousins was tw- I think twenty third in the league in passing yards per attempt and twenty twenty sixth in third down conversions. But, I mean, yeah, so as long as Kirk Cousins can improve along with that offensive line, uh, I think they can certainly have a good year and maybe make the playoffs. For me, it's uh, winning a postseason game with Kirk Cousins at the helm and get the monkey off his back. Show that he is one of the premier quarterbacks in this league and he deserves some respect. So I I think not just specific to Kirk Cousins, but if, if I'm looking at anything, it's the Vikings offense, and specifically their offensive coordinator, Kevin Safansky. Now, the Vikings had a lot of success with Pat Shermer running a show in 2017. They brought in John Filippo last year, and things were a mess. He was fired before the season ended. Kirk Cousins had some of his struggles in big games. The offensive line was terrible. I think if Stefanski can come in and just put together a solid offense for this Minnesota team... I don't know if their defense is going to be top five in the league, but I think it's going to be pretty good. And if the Vikings are going to be a legitimate threat this year, they need that offense churning, and it's going to come down to the guy that's running his team, Kevin Savansky. All right. So with that, uh, let's wrap up our show with today's top five. And uh, as part of the NFL series, we're sticking to NFL themes for this segment. And today we're going to count down uh, guys that we consider the best backup quarterbacks of all time in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right, so I will get us started today with my number five best backup quarterback of all time, and that is Matt Flynn. So Matt Flynn was drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the seventh round of the 2008 draft. That same year, they took Brian Brom in the second round. And Flynn, uh, despite having no guarantees to even make the roster as a seventh-round pick, beat out Brom for the backup job, continued to play well enough to be on the team in 2010 when they won the Super Bowl, got himself a ring, and then in the ultimate backup quarterback, time to shine, Week 17, a game that doesn't matter for a 14-1 Packers team. He goes out, throws... For 480 yards and six touchdowns against the Detroit Lions, earns himself a big contract with the Seattle Seahawks, ends up being the backup there when he loses out the quarterback battle to Russell Wilson. Uh, but he he did that one great backup quarterback moment, and eventually Green Bay brought him back in 2013, and he helped helped keep the team afloat while Aaron Rodgers was injured. Uh, so that way, when Rodgers returned, the Packers were able to get back to the playoffs, beating the Bears in Week 17 in Chicago. So Matt Flynn uh, coming up big when it matters. He's my number five. One before number before you go to number four, isn't it true that Matt Flynn has the record Packers QB record for most touchdowns thrown in a yeah. game? And it's not even you'd think it'd be Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre after all the games they started, but it's actually Matt Flynn. All that's, the great quarterbacks that, and Matt Flynn. That, that that's easily a trivia question for any NFL fan that you could ask. 
the the winningest franchise in NFL history, and he had the best single game in the franchise history. So definitely belongs on my list. Number four, I'm going with Doug Williams. Started his career as a starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Didn't do all that great. Ends up playing the USFL. That didn't go very well for the league. Gets a shot with the Redskins again as a backup. And despite losing two games in the 1987 season, the only two he started, he played well enough that uh, the Redskins decided to make him the quarterback in the playoffs. And he wasn't all that good throughout the NFC portion of the postseason, but he was good enough to get them to the Super Bowl where he totally outplayed John Elway, throwing for more than 300 yards and four touchdown passes and a Redskins Super Bowl victory against one of the greatest to ever play the game. So uh, for that performance, Doug Williams comes in as my number four. At number three, Chase Daniel. Now, Chase Daniel has played nine seasons in the league with the New Orleans Saints the Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles, and Chicago Bears. In his nine seasons, he's made a total of four starts, going 2-2 and in them, including a Thanksgiving Day victory last season for the Bears over the Detroit Lions. He has thrown 154 pass attempts in his career to this point, and he's made $28 million. That's $183,000 per pass attempt. And Chase Daniel, if he's able to maintain his backup job in Chicago this season, as expected, is going to add another $6 million to that total. He's a guy who never sees a regular season field uh, when it matters, yet he's still able to keep a job and make a good amount of money doing that. So whatever Chase Daniel does in that quarterback room, it's awesome, and he he is my number three backup quarterback of all time for earning so much despite doing so little. Number two is a throwback, Earl Morrow. So he played from 1956 to 1976, 21 seasons, and he only started in more than half of his team's games in six of those seasons. One of those, 1968 with the Baltimore Colts, Johnny Unitas got hurt in the preseason so Morale wound up starting every single game, led the Colts to a 13-1 record and a trip to the Super Bowl. Two years later, Unitas got hurt in Super Bowl V. Morale came in, took the team back from 13-6, led them on a game-winning drive to win 16-13 on a game-winning field goal with just five seconds left. And then 1972, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And if you know your NFL history, you know that those 72 Dolphins went undefeated. Morale filled in for Bob Greasy early in the season, wound up starting nine games, winning all nine of them, and while Greasy wound up being the quarterback throughout the playoffs, Morale certainly did a lot to contribute to that Super Bowl champion team. So Morale, they, they say that he was the Nick Foles before Nick Foles, and that's why he's number two. And number one is the the actual Nick Foles. And total bias, he beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl as a backup quarterback. It's as simple as that. What he did was remarkable, but that, to me, he'll always be a legend in my book, and that's why he's my number one. All right, so for my number five, well, is Corey numbers, Corey's number one. I went with Nick Foles, and as a Patriots fan, I could not put him at number one because, well... That's just the way it is. and But I also feel like it'd be stupid to not put Nick Foles on my list, given the fact that 
he won a Super Bowl as a backup quarterback, beating Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And even before then, he in 2013, he was a backup for the Eagles, backing up Michael Vick. And he even came in uh, replacing him and threw 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, so And then he, he had a drop-off in the middle part of those years, but came back as a backup again for Carson Wentz. And when he got injured and tore his ACL, like you said, Corey, he... He came in, was remarkable, and he won a Super Bowl and was MVP. So I feel like it'd be stupid to not at least put him on my list. So I went with him uh, begrudgingly as my number five. My number four, like you said, uh, Earl Morale. Uh, you already you know, talked about what he, he did. He Yeah, like you said, he was the kind of the Nick Foles before Nick Foles. He came in for Johnny Unitas in 1968, went 13-1 that season and was the MVP and in 1972 he came in for Bob or was in for Bob Greasy at one point during that uh, amazing season for the Dolphins so I went with Earl Morales my number four my number three I went with Kurt Warner I mean yes he was a starter for most of his career and probably a Hall of Famer but uh, during that year where he did win a Super Bowl he came in for Trent Green after he tore his ACL in the preseason and he rallied he, the the team rallied along with him with Marshall Falk and uh, Torrey Holt and uh, Isaac Bruce and all those legends on that Rams team. And he was even bagging groceries early in his career or before he even really began his career, his Hall of Fame career. And not only that, uh, at the end of his career, he was with the Arizona Cardinals and was supposed to be backing up Matt Leinart, who was supposed to be the starter but they ended up going with Kurt Warner because he was the better man for the job and he brought the Cardinals all the way to the Super Bowl and at one point they were winning the Super Bowl after Larry Fitzgerald had that clutch touchdown but Corey's Pittsburgh Steelers ended up winning that game but still amazing that like at basically 40 years old he almost won another Super Bowl uh, so I went with Kurt Warner as my number three my number uh, my number two, I uh, went with uh, Kirk Cousins. And yes, he's a starter now for the Minnesota Vikings. But before that, he uh, was a backup to RG3 with the Washington Redskins and was even drafted that same year in the fourth round when RG3 was drafted number two overall. And RG3 had an amazing rookie season, but he got injured and Kirk Cousins had to step in and he certainly did the job and one thing I'd like to share with you guys and listeners is uh, back in 2016 a few years ago when he got married he tweeted out uh, two years ago I traded all my draft picks for this first rounder I'm so glad I did that <laughs> for his <laughs> little bit of a shot at RG3 so I, I thought that was funny and as a Kirk Cousins fan I certainly hope he can improve on um, his slightly disappointing year from last year, but uh, I'm, I'm rooting for him. So I went with Kirk Cousins as my number two. And my number one, I went with uh, Josh McCown. And what I love about Josh McCown is he really embraced the journeyman, journeyman label. He played for 10 teams in 17 years. And there's even a picture online of his daughter and her friends all in Josh McCown jerseys from all these teams that he played for, which was, I thought was amusing. And 
he na- he he also retired a couple months ago from the NFL and is now uh, an ESPN analyst. And another thing I admire about Josh McCown is his toughness and his leadership. There was even one game a few years ago when he was with the Browns where he he injured his shoulder and I'm pretty sure he broke his collarbone, but he came back into the game and almost led the led the Browns to victory. And I'm pretty sure that was the year where they went like one and fifteen or zero and sixteen, but. Uh, he got asked after that game why um, why would you go back in that game and he talked about how much it meant to him being out with there with the guys and he talked about how his dad and his brother have regular nine to five jobs and they have to grind and I think Josh McCown even though he wasn't like an amazing quarterback he was a grinder and he showed a lot of toughness and leadership and is a very humble, very humble guy, and I'm a huge fan. And I'm not, I'm being dead serious. I am a huge fan of Josh McCown, and he also looks like Dolph Lundgren from Rocky Four as well. Uh, another fun fact, <laughs> or fun, not fun fact, but fun opinion. So, Josh McCown is my number one on best backup quarterbacks of all time. All right, um, my number five best backup of all time is definitely a homer uh it's colin kaepernick because he's a 49er but also just as far as uh, backup quarterbacks go is a pretty uh cool start uh he was originally kind of a trick play guy for the 49ers uh back in 2012 in fact in when the niners went to uh what is that met life to play against the uh the jets they had the jets had tim tebow and the whole game the announcers were like when will tebow tebow come out for the like the uh you know quarterback run play like tim tebow is going to totally score all over the 49ers by running it as the quarterback which the jets were actually shut out of that game and the 49ers won it was like 42 to nothing and colin kaepernick scored his first career touchdown by doing a quarterback uh designed run play all over tim tebow i mean obviously tim tebow wasn't on the field but like I, it was still during he the wasn't media playing middle linebacker he should have been honestly um (laughs) but it was during that tebow media hype where every time he's out there they've got like the tebow cam and they're like oh tim tebow's drinking another cup of gatorade could this be like the game-changing moment for the jets so i was pretty happy to see colin kaepernick do that play the tim tebow role in his first ever uh career touchdown but that was he had a limited role in this offense until uh, week 10 when Alex Smith, actually it might have been week nine because I think it was right before the bye week, but Alex Smith took a concussion uh, and he went down. Colin Kaepernick came in and coasted the 49ers to a tie uh, against the Rams. But then in week 11, the Niners were on Monday Night Football at Candlestick Park against the Bears. On Colin Kaepernick's first career start, he went 16 of 23, 246 yards with two touchdowns and a win to go uh, 32 to seven. And it led to a quarterback controversy between him and Alex Smith, who was having a career resurgence, a former first overall uh, draft pick who finally was showing the, uh, the potential or, or he was delivering on the potential, but Jim Harbaugh went with Colin Kaepernick. He led them through a historic postseason run, which included the, uh, most rushing yards that a quarterback has ever had in a game 181 yards rushing against the Packers and when people say should they have kept Colin Kaepernick or should should they have gone with Colin Kaepernick or Alex Smith 
it's definitely Colin Kaepernick because without those 181 yards on the ground, there's no way that Niners offense would have kept up with Aaron Rodgers and uh, and one. So even though they ended up losing the Super Bowl, uh, they were they were a, they a fourth down play away from winning it all. Yeah, they were handing the ball to Frank Gore away from winning. Honestly, we we threw it four times in a row instead of letting Frank the Tank uh, seal the victory, but. That's in the past. Colin Kaepernick, my number five guy. Um, number four for me is Ryan Fitzpatrick. He kind of embodies a similar thing to Josh McCown, where he's been a journeyman quarterback, not nearly to the extent of Josh McCown, but he is good for like a few crazy good starts every season. Like he's good to go in there and throw four or five touchdowns. You're like, oh my gosh, thank goodness we have Ryan Fitzpatrick just to have him collapse a few games later, which is why he stays a backup. But as far as backups goes, if you're only relying on them to win a couple of games, well, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's your man. He's got you I, for those couple of games. I loved it last year when he was in that press conference and he dressed up in Deshaun Jackson's clothes. And then <laughs> and then the reporter asked him, like, is any of that yours? And he's like, the chest hair is mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's got a great personality as well and also um a great relationship with Jameis. i watched some of the hard knocks from the buccaneers training camp and he just has a great personality as well like he's he's the whole time like helping Jameis be a better quarterback knowing that he's eventually gonna have to play because obviously Jameis is gonna throw five touchdowns in a game so he's uh he's a great team player great person overall and the number four backup quarterback on my list number three you've already heard his name before tonight uh, or today or whenever you're listening to this podcast Josh McCown comes in at number three for me the same thing he's a journeyman 10 teams 10 teams that uh, have McCown jerseys uh, and uh, I think that's pretty epic and he's been pretty good when he was with the Jets he almost he was one game short of getting them to uh, a postseason berth and uh, as a true backup quarterback I believe that that's that's a feat in itself um, also he really taught um, well he, he I don't know he just has that quiff that is inspirational that that hairdo he had towards the end of his career I, I think was also um, something the, to be the, proud there's of. a video online of him and Sam Darnold on the bench looking at that's what I'm talking at, about looking at the playbook and they both do the flow thing at the exact they same put their time hand through their yeah. hair well oh, Josh McCown taught him well you know and uh, and hopefully that will carry him uh, throughout his career so Josh McCown makes it my number three uh, the true journeyman backup number two and I can't believe I haven't heard his name yet but Trent Dilfer Trent Dilfer embodies what it truly means to be a backup quarterback, which is to actually be bad at football. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trent Dilfer, for my money, is the worst quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. And uh, he did it in fantastic style with that amazing Ravens defense uh, to come in after it was like week eight or something. So it's like halfway through the season that uh, their quarterback goes down and it looks like it's all over for this Ravens, even though their defense is averaging like less than 17 points a game trent dilfer comes in and barely guides the ship to a super bowl and uh i think he's the worst like i said i think he's the worst quarterback to ever win a super bowl which makes him number two on my backup quarterback list right behind the obvious number one and i, I just i think this is just i agree with you Corey. it has to be nick Foles at number one to be like and i was wrong about this too i'm on the record as being wrong about this when uh carson wentz went down and they had to rely on Foles. i was like there is no way nick Foles uh can 
I honestly, it wasn't even about Nick Foles. I was like, it's just not Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz was having such a good year, the, the Eagles would be nothing without him. And quietly, Nick Foles took the reins and didn't look back. And to not only win, it, it'd, it'd be one thing to win a Super Bowl against like a weak uh, AFC team where it's like, oh, like, thank goodness he got to go up against, you know, this team. But instead, it was the greatest of all time, like the most ferocious opponent you could possibly uh, go against in the Super Bowl. And Nick Foles didn't flinch. In fact, he was the most valuable player on his team, which makes him the greatest backup quarterback of all time. Couldn't agree more. I, I don't know if I couldn't agree more is the right. Thing, but yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean maybe homerisms aside. Yeah, yeah. If I a dog, a honk Patriots fan, I yeah, Falls would probably be a little bit higher up there. Yeah, there's also probably some recency bias in that as well. Um, oh yeah, and also in case you couldn't tell, I've I'm only judging backups that I have seen play, obviously. True. Um, I, I hand up. I had no idea who Earl Morrow was uh, until yesterday. But yep, same. <laughs> then I wanted to have a little, little bit of a diversity in the list across eras because we are saying all time, not just since 2010. But that will wrap things up for today's episode. Next week, we're going to be talking AFC South and NFC South. Can the entire AFC South go undefeated for a second year in a row? That will be a good question. Just wait for my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for my co-hosts, Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells, I'm Corey Navani. Thanks, everyone.